Welcome to episode three of the March to the Arch podcast. This is a 2019, 2020 season episode. And on today's episode, we're gonna be talking the ISUs. We've got the Indiana State Sycamores and we're gonna dive into the Illinois State Redbirds. In addition, later on, we're gonna go deep into the Valley and then we'll also close it out with the 2019-2020 NCAA rules changes. We're going to talk through some of them and get, our, get thoughts on those. So how are we doing today, Baker? We're doing good. I'm really excited to talk about my Redbirds today. I feel like this is like the one spot that I can actually talk about them on the podcast, and we're not going to sound like Homer for talking about them too much. But uh, yeah, I'll be, the, I'll be the judge of that, Baker. I, well, that, that's the way that's going to be. Um, got a lot of good feedback from everybody last week. Uh, first, I'd like to thank everyone for sending feedback to us because that's awesome that you guys are listening and you guys are getting engaged with us. Uh, I'm sorry, Valpo fans, uh, if we were a little harsh on your, your team. Uh, a lot of Valpo fans think pretty highly of themselves for this next upcoming season, so uh, we'll see. Um, I personally don't think you're going to be very good, but... And maybe, I mean, rightfully so. I mean, you're going to like your team. Um, we understand we don't have the time as of right now to dive as deep as, you know, fans of those teams do. Sure. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe sure. that's a bad take. But we appreciate the feedback, and uh, we'll incorporate it uh, moving forward. And Evansville, Evansville fans, sorry to call you off, but Evansville fans love us. Yeah, I mean, that's what I love about the Valley and why <laughs> we do this podcast is we are a tight-knit group. We talk through these things. We incorporate. We get better. That's why we like the Valley, and that's why we normally cheer for each other um, when we're playing other games that aren't inside the Valley against our teams. Sure, and actually, one thing that I, I don't even think I've told you that this came back through the feedback, but I'll tell you now, Vance, uh, people disagreed with our take on the European trips or the overseas trips. People thought that they were more meaningful than we thought they were. That's an interesting perspective. I um, completely disagree with all of them. I will tell them to go to their respective school's social media pages and if you, if the amount of posts, the percentage are more about the actual what happened on the court versus uh, pictures in front of famous <laughs> landmarks in Europe, um, sure, you're right, I guess. Um, but I, I challenge you to do that. I don't think that's the case. Once again, the perspective of the March to the Arch podcast is these are recruiting tools. Um, yes. That being said, not calling our listeners wrong, but let's open up our eyes a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm going to call them wrong. But, <laughs> I mean, but hey, you know what? That's that's the thing. That's good feedback, and and I think that's good that we can kind of bounce back and forth. We're not, you're not going to agree with us all the time. We're not going to agree with you guys all the time, and I think that's what makes this fun. Love the feedback. This is what makes it fun. This is the March to the Arch podcast, your place for Missouri Valley Conference news talk, and takes. So we know we're on the offseason, kind of the downtime before college basketball picks up. You know, everybody's focused in on college football, which is why we're doing a lot of the, the team overviews looking into the future. But one thing we'll have in each podcast episode, you know, as it's relevant, is we're going to look around the Valley, see if there's any offseason news, and address that uh, as a podcast. So um, some Valley fans might be aware of a situation going on with the Drake Bulldogs and uh, basketball player Tramel Murphy. There was an off-campus uh, 
incident in which uh, he was potentially involved with. Uh, we're not going to sweep these things under the rug, but uh, just to be, um, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of pro likely rumors out there, and we just don't have enough facts to have an opinion or talk about it in depth. And we just want to address that, that we'll talk about these things, you know, once we know more. But in this uh, day and age, we just don't feel comfortable, um, you know, speculating based on rumors. Sure, sure. I mean, you're not necessarily getting the news from us, but you're, I mean, we're also, we want to talk about things if, if it's going on. But like I said, like Vance said, we're, we don't want to sit here and say the wrong thing. And uh, especially because I don't think all the facts are out yet, but at least we want to at least acknowledge it. So um, you kind of get a taste of what we're going to do going forward. We are going to acknowledge everything. We, are, we aren't just going to sweep it under the rug. First up on today's episode, we have the eight seed from last year's Arch Madness, the Indiana State Sycamores. Last year, they were 15 and 16, so losing record. And in conference, they also had a losing record of seven and 11. This is their fourth straight losing season in conference play. Um, so things haven't been going well for Indiana State and Coach Greg Lansing in his ninth season. Uh, we talked about, we do feel Greg's seat is pretty hot right now. Oh, for sure. For sure. He's definitely got the fire lit under that, without a doubt. So, um, you know, last year they started out decent. They played in the Diamond Head Classic. They beat Colorado. They beat UNLV. And they played in the championship for that. So we thought, you know what? Things are starting to turn around. You know, they had... Uh, Jordan Barnes on the team, um, you know, he was a preseason all-conference, mm -hmm. and we thought this might be an, um, you know, an additional coming out season for Jordan Barnes, and you know what? He didn't do a lot last year. I would say expectations were high for him, and he definitely underplayed those expectations. I really feel that, um, especially in his case, because he was first-teamer, and then he ended up having no postseason um, or yeah, postseason accolades. I think Valley coaches kind of had the playbook on him, and they knew how to guard him, and they limited him um, in scoring. So I think moving forward into this upcoming season, he's got to have a coming out year for them to be successful. Because on paper, the Sycamores look good. So he he's a senior this year going into the season, um, and I think like I agree with you. I think everything with Indiana State comes to Jordan Barnes. Uh, doesn't and and maybe this is the wrong take to have. Um, it's kind of hard to believe that a that he in his senior year is going to keep improving. I think at this point the Valley coaches have seen him. I I was I so last year going in. I and I don't know if you remember talking about this. I had Jordan Barnes as possibly the player of the year. I yes. I was so high on Jordan Barnes. I mean he was on the short list for sure, without a doubt. And it's not like he's a. I mean he still scored what fourteen points a game. He's mm -hmm. still a solid player, but. I felt like we were we were wanting more. Yep, and I think that's the way to put it. And he just kind of got figured out. Yeah, um, maybe that was, and that that could have been what it was. And, and if you look at how they did in the conference last year, they had a solid non-conference, eight and four in the non-conference. That's nothing to sneeze at. They were beating some some pretty good teams. Uh, they had a couple of losses to TCU there, but um, they were beating good teams. Then they came into the conference, and when you start the the conference season three and six. I mean, you're already behind the eight ball, and or actually, they start off three and seven. Even um, yeah. the thing was about them; they always felt like that team that was going to be a pain to beat, but you weren't worried that you couldn't get the win. Yep. And their shining spot, though, last year was Tyreek Key. He almost took the the 
Barnes's spotlight. I don't know if that's the right term, but with Barnes being down, Tyreek Key was able to come out and you know have a really good season. He was second team, averaged 17.5. Uh, points a game. He was most improved player, so they actually kept that accolade in the family, which Barnes got the prior year. So you you just wonder that they over maybe teams overcorrected and overplayed Barnes, and that just gave Tyreek um, the ability to have a good season. Yeah, and get more shots up for sure, for sure. And and it could have been, it, maybe it's his team, and and maybe um, the one other thing that I always wondered last year, and maybe this was me trying to make excuses for Jordan Barnes, just kind of dipping back into him real quick. Was he injured? Mm-hmm. Was he 100? percent And I don't know. I, and that's that's something as a I, Illinois State fan, I I'm not going to be able to tell you. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean the thing is that as those two go, the team goes from from what I would say. I don't know how if that's how you feel as well. I do. Um, so just rounding out last season's accolades on the team, Cooper Nice, uh, all freshman team. He started six games, but he averaged nine nine points a game. Um, so looking at their schedule upcoming. Um, they've got a pretty decent um, non-conference at the beginning. Tough start. It, tough start. And then it kind of falls off the ledge, to be really honest. So they start at Dayton and at Louisville. Um, they go to Ball State. Or no, they have Ball State at home. and then Actually, that, that game is actually a neutral site. That's, oh, it's a, neutral. that's at Banker's Life Fieldhouse, I think oh, it's so okay. called. Or can, it used to be Conseco. Um, but yeah, no... I, they're, we're going to find out how good Indiana State is real quick. Yep. And then we're not going to really know how good they are after that because um, this isn't Murderer's Road um, no. at the end here. Uh, Air Force is good at home. Um, they're playing UMSL. Uh, they've got North Dakota State uh, at home, which um, has pretty well been decent. They sometimes yeah, that's, I don't, the tournament. I don't hate that game. I don't hate that game at home. I think that's one of those games that you should go win. But yep. at the same point, it's a nice little litmus test compared to another mid-major that's about, you know, kind of in that valley realm at least. Um, yeah, no, there. And, and if you look at the Junka Junka No Jam tournament, I hope I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> Uh, they're in a the Junkano Jam tournament. Uh, it's a uh, round robin with Loyola Marymount, Duquesne, and Air Force. So that Air Force game is actually not at home. That's actually oh, at the yep. Junkano. Yep. Junk. I hope it's Junkano. Yeah. <laughs> the marketing people at Junkano. I really want to keep saying Junkano. Yep. Um, but no, that I mean Loyola Marymount, Duquesne, Air Force. That's it's not great, but it's I mean those are at least teams you've heard of. Right. Um, um, and then they finish off the uh, non-conference at Wright State versus Tennessee State and uh, perennial 300-ranked uh, team Chicago State, which I think every team in the Valley plays, um, it feels like. Um, Chicago State is getting someone this year. <laughs> I, last year they had ISU on the ropes. I, I will dip into that soon, but I know they all cut it to three, I think. Yeah. Or they had them beat. But, no, as for Indiana State, I think, I think looking at the schedule um, – because of those top, those first two games and having a few interesting games, I would say their schedule is okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, so looking at the team, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the team that's coming back. Uh, we've talked about the coaching. Greg's seat is hot. There was a coaching uh, change on the bench. Marcus Belcher, former Saluki, um, is now with the Redbirds. So um, it's always interesting when you see assistant coaches jump around the valley. You always under- wonder what's going on there um, and what insight they bring to those teams. Um, I don't always like it because I feel like 
Um, what's it doing in the Valley? Are we really helping each other out by poaching each other as assistant coaches? And for all we know, there's personal reasons and maybe there's some more money uh, somewhere or maybe it's coaches getting off a sinking ship. Um, that's definitely a piece of it as well. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that sometimes, sometimes when you have coaches that have people leave the program, it's a situation where like in Greg Lansing's case, he's on the hot seat. Maybe this is freshen up your bench before your last stand mm -hmm. type of thing. Yep. Um, and and like I said, I don't know. I don't know what his contract is for sure. I'm pretty sure it's coming up. So mm -hmm. I would say that this is about as important a season for Greg Lansing to get things back on track as there ever has been. Right. I agree. Um, so they replaced Marcus Belcher with Kareem Richardson. Um, he played for the Sycamores. Uh, from 99 to 2002, made it to two NCAAs, um, but he was on the bench at uh, UM Kansas City, so joining the staff there. So looking at players, um, they've got, so we talked about uh, Tyreek, Jordan Barnes, and Nice getting um, some accolades early on in the season and in the late season. They're leading rebounders back. Uh, we got Christian Williams coming back. And then Bronson Kessinger, um, he's the center. Um, he's got a solid goatee. I think it's really noticeable <laughs> in the uh, the conference. But, you know, he fills out their height, and he's a good post presence and really just um, a good role player for the Sycamores. Yeah, no, I, I think that I think that it's a it's obviously the the two men at the top that are going to make make this train go. Um, it's it's really hard looking at as how as we go through this how good the rest of the valley is. It's really hard for me to see this team finish in the top half. Yeah. Um, they've got some interesting signings too. One that they're, I would hope they're uh, pretty high on is they have a JUCO transfer, uh, 6'8", 275 pound, uh, Chris Agbo. Um, gives them more size and post presence. Um, I, I, you got to be excited about a 6'8", uh, 275 or um, in the Valley in a pretty guard heavy uh, conference. And then they have a freshman. Um, it, it's a pretty interesting story here, Trey Williams. He took a year off um, to go to prep school. Um, he, he pretty much invested in himself. Uh, he had a lot of D2 interest, but just not a lot of D1. Um, so he took the year off like many people do, and, and it worked out for him. So he's going to join the Sycamores. He's a 6'7", 245-pound uh, center. So Big they're going to have some height mm -hmm. um, in the middle. Um, I know we always love it on the stat sheets, but there's another Barnes coming, Kobe Barnes, uh, small forward. Uh, he had an offer from Evansville, so, um, you know, the battle in Indiana, Indiana, the Sycamores won that one. And then they've got a six, another 6'8 six, freshman with Jake Laravia. Um, and they also have, sorry, rounding this out, out this freshman class is uh, Jared Hankins. He was top 15 in the state of Indiana. So um, they're still recruiting. You know, it doesn't feel like a lot of recruits are sniffing out um, the blood and the water in uh, Terre Haute with potentially Greg being, his seat being hot. You know, I, I it's, it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic there that it, it's, it looks like he's still getting players coming in. Um, there's st he still has talent on this team. It's it's going to come. I mean, it, this is you coach him up now, Greg. I mean, this is one of those things that you do have talent enough to win games, but you need to take this talent. And it sounds like the recruiting class was just was solid. I mean, there's guys coming in. I think that now it's now it's just time to make it make it happen. And I do believe, the, um, just from an infrastructure perspective, they do have a renovation going on at the Holman Center. Um, unfortunately, I've not been to the Holman Center, um, so I don't know what the before is like, but uh, I think they've got 50 I million. Have, I have been to the Holman Center. Uh, 
it's it's not bad, um, and that's my my major comparison. Obviously, is Redbird Arena, but um, it's not terrible. But it was kind of felt a little dated, mm-hmm. is the best way I could put it. But um, by no means, having attended other college basketball arenas, would I say that it's in, by any way the worst or anything like that. But it was, seemed a little dated, so I think a up, nice upgrade will definitely help it. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's um, going to be later on next year, so we might not see some of the benefits uh, this year. But fifty million into the Holman, there you that's go. great. I mean, it, it shows a university putting more money into your program, so that's the kind of thing you want to see. Um, end of the day, Vance, where do you where do you see the Sycamores finishing? I mean, at least uh, just kind of spitballing around because we obviously aren't going to do our rankings today. But I mean, do you see them as a top half team? I don't. Um, yeah, on paper, they look really good. They and but they always do, and they always put, not always, but then Thursday night of Arch Madness rolls around, and there they are. <laughs> Um, so I like them on paper, but until we kind of figure out what role Jordan Barnes plays this year, um, I think that'll be very telling of the Sycamore success this year. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I think it's. I think that is absolutely the. I agree, completely agree with you on him this year. All right, that's going to round out uh, the Indiana State Sycamores. Since we're talking about the Indiana State Sycamores on today's podcast, I thought it'd be interesting to jump into three lesser-known stats about the Sycamores and their 33-1 season led by a player you might know, Larry Bird. So first, Larry Bird was the only returning starter from the season before. Second, this was the second season the Indiana State Sycamores were a member of the Missouri Valley Conference. And third, this 33-1 team was led by rookie head coach Bill Hodges after the former head coach had to resign due to health reasons. This has been Deep in the Valley. Here we go. Let's break down the Illinois State Redbirds. Darren Muller is going into his eighth season at Illinois State. Uh, They had an overall winning record last year, but probably the most surprising seven seed at Arch Madness. So um, they were 16 and 15, but in the Valley, they were nine and nine. Um, As a Saluki fan, I was really hoping they didn't sneak into that sixth seed last year, but I was very surprised when they went to um, Thursday night. I'm gonna turn it over to Baker because I just want to get out of the way. (laughs) Well, last year was not good. Um, I'm about as disappointed a fan as there is. Um, I thought that Illinois State was just, I, I thought it was one of the most disappointing Illinois State teams in a long time. Uh, reason I say that is because with the talent that they had last year with Yarbrough, Fame, these were their senior years. These were their years to make an impact to get to a tournament, and it was just extremely disappointing. Uh, going back all the way to, I, I, I think that the Belmont game sticks out to me because it was just, it felt like we were never in the game, even though we only lost by 11. We never were in the game, um, and it just it felt like that all year. Like they would have stretches where they win games. And they would play well, but it just never felt like it was coming together. Yeah, um, I, I think we might get into it, but also the the team chemistry felt off last year a little bit, um, just with um, Malik being Malik at times, and it, it really I think played in late. Uh, why they ended up on Thursday night? It's it, they should not have ended up on Thursday night, and. 
I'll be honest with you. I This is one of those spots where, I yeah, I put it on your seniors for not being ready to play and ready to uh, get your team into the top three in the Valley, maybe top two, even maybe even win the regular season. But I'll be honest with you, I put a lot of this on Dan Muller. I think this comes down to uh, it is his job to get this team together. It is, it is his job to have a better... Uh, product out there for as a basketball team. They're def- they were sometimes defensively they they didn't even look like they were ready to play, and then other times they would be great. It was just the most. It was such a back and forth year, and then there would be sometimes we'd watch them on offense, and they would just have no ball movement. There would be it would be a most the most lost bunch of guys you've ever seen. Um, it, yeah, they had some bad luck along the way. They had the two uh, half court losses in conference last year to Valpo and Missouri State. But I mean, I I don't want to. The thing was, like, I mean, I remember specifically going back to the Valpo game at home. They they were just beat. It was and it was they were the better team, and that was the thing that was just frustrate me. It was just like this team would somehow just not show up. Yeah, um, I think you made the good comment talking about the buzzer beaters that. You guys made ESPN uh, top ten a lot last year, just on the other end of the play. Yeah, no, it, it was horrible. <laughs> it was, uh, it made me sick. I remember, uh, I remember watching the Missouri State game at home, and my wife looked over at me, and she just like, did that really go in? As she was in the other, <laughs> as she was in the kitchen making dinner. So I was like, yeah, sure did. So all right, that was that was a good recap of last season. Before we move move on to this upcoming season, I can get my last jab in. Not gonna lie, on the last Saturday before. Um, Arch Madness, uh, there's no better feeling than the Saluki sending the Redbirds to Thursday night. Um, I I was surprised that they made Thursday night. Uh, I love that it was at the hands of the Salukis. Yeah, I couldn't have been more sick. (laughs) Uh, For context, Baker didn't respond to any of my texts, Snapchats, or anything. Um, It was at least until we knew we had to start talking about Arch Madness. Yeah, sure didn't. Yeah, that's accurate. All right, let's move into this next season, Baker. Run down what you're thinking, maybe look at the schedule. Yeah, so uh, this season, the uh, just looking at the non-conference schedule, uh, they got a couple decent games on there. It's uh, I would say it's uh, a little more disappointing just in the fact that if you look at some of the non-conference schedules they've had in the past couple of years, I feel like it's a little bit disappointing. Um, you do have UCF coming in, which I love the fact that they're coming into Redbird Arena. That's great. Um, you play TCU on the road. Uh, the Virgin Islands uh, Paradise Jam we talked a little bit about with uh, when we went talked about Valpo. That is that weird. Mm-hmm. We have Valpo in our in the non-conference tournament deal, but uh, it's not a terrible field. Uh, you get Cincinnati in the first round, which is a great draw for Illinois State. That's an opportunity to beat a beat a, a known team. Uh, but overall, it, to me, it's it feels okay, um, at least at the standard of the last few years of Illinois State non-conference. But I don't know. How do you feel about it? I, I feel like we're it leaves a little bit to be desired. Yeah, especially since Muller's always been um, the come play us, come play us. The bigs will never play us. You know. That got kind of tiring the last couple of years on his t- Twitter rants. Um, so it doesn't look like it's um, the fruits of, a la- of his labor have not been um, experienced here, um, especially since he's been such a proponent of wanting to go out and find those games. So maybe that's a result of no one will come play him. But um, just as since he is such a big proponent of it, I would have thought there'd be more. Um, a lot to be desired here because it's going to be hard to kind of assess this team going into conference um, because they've got some trials early, but like a lot of teams, they just kind of have mediocre games that lead up to the conference season. Yeah, no, and 
it's one of those it's a that whole the whole deal with him getting on Twitter after they didn't make the tournament saying come play us come play us yeah you know what you got an old old miss home and home that's great um, from my perspective and I, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this I think that as a Missouri Valley as a Missouri Valley team you should automatically have a power five team and you even if it's a just a one and done go yeah. on the road like you like there needs to be like something. I mean, TCU's on there, but there's got to be something better than TCU. Like you need to go to a Big Ten school, and if it's a one and done, that's fine. But absolutely, we are not in a position where we're sitting here like saying, "Oh, well, we could we can get Illinois on the schedule. They'll do a home and home." No, they're not. No, they won't. And the thing is, is a lot of teams look at pay games too. And you know, we got Evansville going to Kentucky, I believe, and then SIU went to Kentucky last year, and we got paid to do so, which is fine. I mean, yeah, you, you might want a new locker room, or there's always let's get some more revenue in but I'm, I'm kind of to your point is just go do it if you think you have the team don't take the money or don't have to you know uh, get money for going to a power five school I think you should seek out those opportunities because those are the opportunities that will get you an at-large bid those are the opportunities that will give you a better seed if you do make the NCAA tournament and it just seeing that the fact that you went out and tried to play people mm -hmm. like if, if you look at this schedule that's the thing that scares me is like a schedule like this is not going to get you an at-large bid yep. in the Missouri Valley. That's what that's. I mean, that's just being blunt. And especially just um, the proximity to the Big Ten. Um, and I'll say this for this is all Missouri Valley schools. Like I'm just kind of surprised that we don't see more of it. And maybe it's a Big Ten problem. You know, I don't know. But if I was in marketing or in the athletic office of the Missouri Valley, I would just come out to fans and say, "Hey, we offered to go to Purdue. Um, they said no. We didn't ask for any money." Um, likewise, just go around and make it known so that at least we know what's going on and how you formulate the schedule. Sure, sure. No, I completely agree. Um, dipping into a little bit about the roster for this year, um, a lot of roster turnover for Illinois State this year. Um, it's it's an interesting roster. I know. Uh, just starting out, the the name the, there's two names that are going to pop out to um, well maybe three if you want to count Taylor, but. Um, Matt Chastain and Zach Copeland are two names that are going to pop out to Valley fans as guys who were on the team last year, guys who contributed. Um, those are two guys that are going to uh, kind of have to be that glue for, for all the new guys and I think are going to have to re be ready to come and play. Um, I, I, I love Matt Chastain. Um, he, his, him going out there, it, it always feels like he's going to give you 100%. Um, he's not necessarily going to be the most Effective score out there, um, but he just does a lot of the things that he does a lot of the things that nobody wants to do, um, and I think that's the kind of guy you need on a winning team. Um, Ray Adowu, I I couldn't have been happier with his season last year, uh, as because it, it because it felt like he was progressing as the year went on. Uh, beginning of the season, he kind of looked like a deer in the headlights when he had the basketball in his hands, and toward the end of the year, you saw him making post moves, you saw him putting the ball into the hoop. Um, I know a lot of people don't have him as part of the rotation this year, at least the starting rotation, guy who's going to be coming off the bench. Uh, I could see him at the end of the year, if, if he keeps progressing like I hope he does, I could see him as a guy that's going to really be a contributor on this team. Um, looking at a couple of the other guys that uh, we do have coming in, it's uh, uh, Boyd, Torres, Fisher. Uh, those three guys are going to probably start for Illinois State. Um, uh, the the deal with the, the deal is uh, we're going to need these guys to come in and they're going to have to contribute right away. I'm interested in your thoughts on Torres um, and bringing in a fire. <laughs> so I don't have a problem with it personally, just because uh, you, you need to bring someone in. It's a guy who was actually 
he didn't score a lot last year, but he can distribute the basketball pretty well. Um, I mean, it's, it's a Wichita State guy, so that's going to be kind of weird. But I don't personally – I don't have as much Wichita State dislike in me as a lot of Valley fans do. I know that's going to be so weird to hear. I always thought that was so interesting on how much disdain there was between ISU and Wichita State. It was almost like a – I mean, it, it was a rivalry. Oh, for sure, for sure. And it was one of those things that – were we ever at Wichita State's level? No, we weren't. But I think that we kind of felt like we were when we were <laughs> on the court with, <laughs> with them. And uh, and that was one of those things that those were the matchups that you look forward to. And when you know when Baker, Van Vliet, those guys came into Redbird Arena, um, ISU had some some big wins against them. And it was a uh, it's I I mean I miss the fact that Wichita State's not in the league. And I I know from talking to some Shocker fans out there that they miss being a part of the Missouri Valley because. I, I, don't, I mean, the American, I guess, is a step up, but, I mean, it's not as much fun for them is what I've been hearing. But uh, as for Torres, I hope he comes in. I hope he um, he's going to have to be one of those distributors out there. He didn't score a lot at Wichita State, but he did play a lot. Um, and I, even if a lot of people aren't going to be fans of Wichita State, I do think quite a bit of Greg Marshall. I think he's a really good coach. Um, and from what I understood, uh, he did. He trusts him with the basketball, which is is a big deal. But um, Fisher and Boyd, those are the two guys that I think that we're going to really have to expect a lot from. Fisher's the guy that you hear a lot of buzz about. I know from a lot of people who've seen Fisher, um, they're very high on him. He's a big guy, six uh, eight, uh, from LA. He uh, he was he came from San Jose State, uh, scored ten points a game when he was there. He actually sat out last year, but uh, people are super high on him. Yeah, but, and uh, also you got a little San Jose State pipeline here. You got two guys <laughs> on the on the bench sure. coming from there. You know, likely a package deal situation with one being from with Hillsman being from Champaign, Illinois. Likely the connection there. Um, yeah, so it, it sounds like it's just going to be a. It's a we'll, different team. It's a different team, and almost like we'll see. Very much a we'll see. Yeah. Um, I. It's it's crazy. So you hear people people talk about this from other Illinois State fans. Love this team. Um, I'm more of the we'll wait and see type of thing. I have a hard time believing with how good the Missouri Valley is that we're a top half of the league team. Uh, I, I didn't expect that from you. I'm yeah, no. I, and I'm listen. I hope I I hope they're first place. I hope they will go 18 and 0. And I hope I'm wrong. But um, to be objective, honestly. Until I see it, I don't necessarily – I'm not super confident because last year, let's face it, they had all the talent in the world and Dan Muller couldn't bring them together. And I, well, who's to say that he's going to bring – and maybe it's having someone like a Yarbrough gone. And let's let's face it, Yarbrough yeah. was a distract, distraction. Maybe it is kind of distancing yourself from the old guard. Yep. And I will say, and I don't want to like uh, hammer out last year, but I'm going to miss Phil Fain. I love Phil Fain. Oh. I thought he was just great for the Valley, and I, I wish he had another year – that he doesn't leave with that taste in his mouth. I wish Phil Fain had 15 more years. <laughs> he, I, he was, he was one of the most enjoyable people to 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 watch play. A really nice guy to meet. Um, he was just, he was great, and he he was one of those guys that, even when there were distractions from Yarbrough and when Evans was injured here and there, and just things were going on with the team. I know there was a time where Tinsley, you'd look over him, and he's just still sitting on the bench. You, you didn't know why, but he was just sitting there. He wasn't getting played, but. Fain was always that one guy who you knew was going to come out and give you 100%. He, you knew that you were going to get the best out of Phil Fain every night, and it was the one guy that at least made you somewhat 
uh, you know, felt felt good about him, or yep. at least felt good about the Redbirds. Copeland's gonna have to step in and and be that person. I mean, and I don't know if he can, honestly. And I and I hope I'm wrong. I really hope so. He show the thing about Copeland was his consistency for me. Is he needs to show more consistency on the floor. Um, he shows signs where he could be one of the best players in the valley. Uh, we need to see that night in, night out, though. Yeah, it'll be interesting when we talk preseason awards and um, where we think people will fall and how Copeland plays into that because he's going to have to be that role player for the, for the Birds this upcoming year. And and one more thing, I think I think Taylor needs to come in and I think he needs to be uh, I think he needs to be a, a really big contributing factor for this team because. Um, he's coming off the injury. He's coming off missing last year. Um, I really think that he needs to come in, and because he was such a scorer in high school, uh, I, I really want him to to come in and take that next step. Um, one thing that I've and I I couldn't believe it. Some of the feedback that we've been getting on this podcast, and I'm sure you've got some of the same feedback, Vance. But um, it is it is insane to me to hear so many people that are fine with NITs at Illinois State. And it drew, it, when I when I read it, and I was talking to shout out to my buddy Kurt. Um, he and I were talking about it, and he, he said he couldn't believe how many people said the same thing to him that it wasn't necessarily NCAA tournament or bust. I personally think that anything less of an NCAA tournament until you get there at Illinois State is a failure. Absolutely. I mean, you've, I think it's been over twenty long, years. I think you have the longest drought um, in the valley. I'd have to go check the record Brooks, but. Um, I, I believe so. They too. have the longest drought in the valley. You don't have to check the record. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at. I was like, I'm pretty sure. It was 1999 when they lost to Kansas. So and we got four teams that year. Yeah, was it four teams that year? That, wasn't that the you and I? No, I think you're a little you're a little behind. They, I think they might have had three okay. then. But All right. it, but doesn't matter. Illinois State longest drought. Yes, you are correct. Okay, so um, you know with that, that's that's been Illinois State, and I, you know, we talked about it earlier, but I think we'll. We'll see, Baker. Absolutely. All right, as we look to the 2019-2020 uh, MVC uh, basketball season, there are going to be some changes. Um, as uh, most fans know, uh, when the NCAA wants to try out new rules, they usually do it in the NIT. They'll play the NIT uh, tournament with the, the proposed rule changes, and then depending on how it goes, uh, they'll enact them. So we do have some rules uh, changes impacting this upcoming season. So we're going to go through them and just get our thoughts on them and uh, how it might impact uh, the Valley. So the first one, I would say one of the main ones, is the three-point line is going to be extended to 22 feet, one and three-fourths inches. Um, before we get into that, I just want to see, like, how do they mock up 22 feet, one and three-fourths inches? Like, who's out there with the tape measure <laughs> going around the arc when you're like, you know what, this is it? And Here's what it is. Um, it's international rules. So they moved, they uh, adopted international rules for the three-point line. Um, they, in their proposal or the rationale with the rule change, uh, they had some bullet points with it. They said they want to make the lane more available for dribble drive plays from the perimeter. From the perimeter. Um, they want to slow the trend of three-point shot being so prevalent in uh, college basketball by making it a little bit more challenging. And then um, help out with offensive spacing uh, by making the defense cover more ground, essentially. So that's the intent, Baker. What's your reaction on extending the three-point line? Um, I think it takes away uh, – there might be a handful of guys that uh, like taking threes that might, might 
think twice before they do. Um, I mean, you're extending it out just to be a little bit closer to the NBA three-point line, so maybe that's a good thing for some of some of the players to, to be a little further out, some of our actual shooters in the league, um, to maybe get a look that shows they can step step back a little further and shoot the ball. So um, I, I, I don't, don't dislike I mean, I think it's fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. It's international rules. We're getting close to the NBA. Uh, I think it's interesting because I feel like in this day and age, we want more scoring. So I'll be interested to see what scoring does with this change this year. Um, from a, My last thing on this rule change will be from a value perspective, we're such a guard-heavy league. I think I like it in the sense that there's going to be more dribble drives. We're going to see, you know, shooting guards are such an integral part of um, Valley play that I think that they're going to get to the hole more. Um, it may, you know, teams that have a ton of size might not be able to pack the lane as much and they're going to have to extend their defense. So I'll be interested to see uh, how, how that plays out. Yeah, no, for sure. It's a, I think there's, I think the one thing for me is like, College basketball used to, I mean, this is, we're talking like 10, 12 years ago. It was always like the high school three-point line. It wasn't any different than a high school three-point line. And I think now we're kind of trying to, I think we're getting closer to bridging that gap. And I actually think this is where it probably should land for now until the end of time. But you kind of need to have that bridge that gap, extending it out between high school and the NBA. So yep. I think that's where college and international have found themselves. Yep. Another interesting rule change is uh, they're going to reset the shot clock after a offensive rebound to 20 seconds. And so I, I feel that that's interesting. Um, I love it. You do? I do. Expand upon that. So I love it because it's kind of, it, it reminds you of the NBA. Um, and I'm obviously I'm a big NBA fan as well. Uh, go Knicks. Um, the The thing about it is, is when, when, a, when a shot goes up and the ball hits the rim and an offensive rebound happens. It goes back to 14. It's kind of it kind of keeps the pace of the game going a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, there's not as many lulls. And in college basketball, sometimes you have those lulls and those some of those long possessions. And I think that that this kind of counteracts that. Um, I like it because I think that it'll. I think it really ramps up speed of play. Yeah, I, I just. I wonder if it's going to impact any um, just game decisions on getting the ball out front instead of continuing the attack. And I, I get the pace perspective. I think it's going to make you want to attack more uh, uh, on an offensive rebound because a lot of times you'll see teams, if, if you say it was going to go back to 30 seconds and you just kick it back out and you run your regular offense, now you have much more sense of urgency to really get the ball in the hoop. Yep. Um, and then another one, and this is just high high level here, um, it's more around technical fouls. There's going to be more emphasis on... Um, if you use derogatory language, um, especially uh, specifically at a player's, um, um, uh, the rule states, an opponent's race, ethnicity, national origin, religion, gender, gender expression, gender identity, and uh, sexual orientation or disability, um, it, it's going to be automatic technical. Why we have to put that in a rule is interesting, um, uh, but you know, <laughs> here it is. The don't be dumb rule. Yep. Um, yeah, I, one thing we were talking about rules real quick, just to get your, it's off of, it's not a rule yet, but I think it's kind of coming, it's, a, it's starting to get more traction. What is your opinion on going to quarters? Um, are you one of those, are you going to be one of those, you know, don't want to change my college basketball and go to quarters, or do you think that it is, it is the right difference? I mean, wh where are you at on it? So... Media timeouts do that, in my opinion. Media timeouts are infuriating in my mind. Um, but so there, we already have it in the sense that it's established media timeouts. Okay. Um, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, fundamentally, I'm not a don't touch my college basketball. Um, you know, I'm I'm okay with 
you know, improving or changing the game. But but we already have it with media timeouts. Sure. Um, it, it might make games longer, in my opinion, if we go quarters because you might I think have it depends on how you do it. Yeah. But the, here's the deal. Um, TV companies or um, the stations, it, it, it all be, depends on how it's going to impact them. Do we still get a media timeout and in between quarters? <laughs> or, you know what I mean? That it, it's all going to de develop on what um, the ESPN and the Foxes of the sure. world want to do. So I'm all for it if if it becomes a situation where we're going to go, if say we go to 10-minute quarters, if we do a five-minute media timeout, five-minute media timeout for end of quarter, and then do it that way every five minutes, so then mm -hmm. you would count take off a media timeout yep. every half. Um, because at the same point, like, if you watch some of these college basketball games on TV, especially in the tournament, it's horrible. It's Eve, every single time there's a timeout, they're going to commercial for a minute or two. So at that point, I think that this if you just take out that, that three-minute media timeout, take one of them out, I think it really does a lot for, for college basketball, in my opinion. Yep, and uh, I got a couple more that I want to just talk through sure. uh, from a timeout perspective. So this year, coaches with under two minutes to play are going to be able to call timeouts. Um, it's always interesting because uh, you always see them point at their players and tell them to come here, and then they want the timeout. So uh, I like it. That's uh, kind of normal to me. I feel like a coach should be able to call a timeout for um, sure. under, for sure. under the rule of the law. And then also they're going to go to replay on uh, goaltending as well, uh, in addition to um, where who had who touched it last before it went out of bounds. Um, so you know Pollard's going to love going to the monitor even more. You know there might even be a shot up, but he if he can go to the monitor, he might you know say <laughs> hey maybe somebody touched that in goaltending. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that's played uh, played out. All right, so that's been some of the rule changes that we think that might impact the Valley um, or might have a difference uh, in this upcoming season. All right, this has been episode three of the March to the Arch podcast, where we recapped the Indiana State Sycamores uh, upcoming season. Um, and I also watched uh, Baker walk to the ledge about the Illinois State Redbirds, and uh, he was pretty much a Debbie Downer. Yeah, no, uh, I think it, it probably is a little recency bias by uh, my choice of uh, picking them bottom half of the valley. But uh, Redbird fans out there, please forgive me. I obviously want them to finish first place. I hope they go 18-0, and shout out to my dad. I, I, if you, dad, when you listen to this, I'm sorry. Um, also, uh, we, we really think that thankful for the input from our listeners, and specifically listener Dan, who brought us the idea to uh, talk through rules changes for next year. Shout out to Dan. That was, that was awesome. That was a great idea. We get, we've gotten so many good ideas from, from you listeners out there, so keep them coming. There's some, some really interesting stuff that we're going to talk about here on the podcast that that I think is it's fun that you guys want to actually hear it. All right, and we want to keep the socialness going uh, for this podcast. So, Baker, where can they find us? The socialness, we can keep rolling. Uh, March Arch Baker, March Arch Pod on Twitter, our two Twitter handles, and then the mailbag, which is marcharchmailbag at gmail.com is where you can send us your ideas, your feedback, and all three different platforms. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, just uh, keep the stuff coming. All right, and for next week uh, on schedule, we'll be talking about the Missouri State Bears and the University of Northern Iowa Panthers. Everybody have a good week, and go Valley. Start talking about the Valley. Why not?